Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So we're learning how to pray. And in learning how to pray, we have learned that prayer works because God answers prayer. But the question is, what happens when prayer isn't working? And so we're in a little section of this series where we've gone into the book of James because the book of James reads like a troubleshooting guide for prayer. There's these very black and white passages. There's no gray area that lets you know, hey, if you're getting this, well, then you're not doing that. And if you're saying this, then then these things aren't going to happen. And so it kind of gives you a guide of some things to check to make sure that it's right so that your prayer life can get back to a place where it's working. And we've learned three things so far in the book of James that we need to check our faith when prayer is not working. We need to check our obedience that we're ready to do what God tells us to do from his word if prayer is not working. Last week we talked about checking your relationships when there's tension in those relationships, especially in relationships in the church, that we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. And he does this beautiful work of bringing about a harvest of righteousness in those who sow and make peace. This morning, I want to talk about from James chapter 5 that we need to check for unconfessed sin when prayer isn't working. So I have a friend named Steve who has been healthy pretty much his entire life, never had any real major health issues until he had some kidney stones a couple of years ago. And he just couldn't pass them. And so he was just in a terrible amount of pain. And so he he went to the doctor and they're checking him out and they're doing all kinds of scans to try to figure out how to treat that. And in the midst of having all of those scans they realized that Steve's major problem was not the kidney stones. Steve had pancreatic cancer. And it was a shock. Thankfully, though the surgery was very difficult and his recovery was long, Steve is cancer-free now. But you know as well as I do that the key to pancreatic cancer is catching it early because that is a serious uh, disease. And man, not many people survive it. So the idea to catch it early is so important with this. The book of James ends with an objective. I want you to look at verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is a serious situation. It's something you got to catch early. And if you don't, it, it can get very serious because, because a couple of things that I would say about this, people who wander from the truth, a lot of them don't even know it. They're they're drifting from a place they don't realize how far they've gotten. And another dangerous thing about people who wander from the truth is sometimes when they wander from the truth, even when they know it, they won't admit it. I'm not where I need to be. 
And that kind of thing can metastasize in your life, just like an undiagnosed cancer. It can, it can, cause, it can spread and cause all kinds of problems before you even know that it's there. Notice, he says, man, you're bringing back, his, uh, saving his soul from wandering, and, and you're saving his soul from death, and it'll cover a multitude of sins. If you continue to wander, it'll metastasize into many sins in your life. And the third danger of this is that it is critical. You will wander to death. You will save his soul from death. So you got to bring them back. But how do you do it? How, how do we go? And Because we all know people who are wandering. We all know people who were, were in the truth and they were practicing the truth and they were growing in their relationship with Christ. And now you ask the question, where have they gone? They're into a multitude of sins. And if it continues, they're going to wander to death. We've got to bring them back. How do you do it? This passage is so hopeful. It's so powerful. And he shows you the way you do it is through gathering together to pray. Prayer is important to the faith community. I hope we all understand prayer is not supposed to be just something we do to transition the service from one segment to another. And unfortunately, that's what it has become in many congregations. But if you read James chapter 5, you you realize that prayer provides healing. It, it provides the experience of God's people seeing God working. It's through prayer that the people of God discern the will of God. Prayer encourages, it unifies, it cleanses, and it brings people back. Without prayer, people are prone to wander off into a multitude of sins into their eternal demise in death. So gathering to pray is how we see serious things in the church. It's, it's how God reveals things that are hidden and need to be diagnosed. And so he tells you, man, if you want to bring them back, this is, this is how you do it. you got to get together to pray. So the first question I want to tackle is this. How do you know that you're wondering? Wondering from what? What, what, is the, what is the reference point that lets you know you're not where you need to be? Is it that, well, I'm, just, I'm not as regular in church as, as I used to be? Attendance in worship is very important. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves, as is the habit of some. That can become a habitual wandering in your life. But that's symptomatic of a bigger problem. Well, I know I need to read the Bible more. Yeah, you probably do. But, but that's, that's a sign that you're wandering, but that's not really the reference point of, of that helps you to evaluate where we need to be. The standard is in verse 8. Look at James chapter 5, verse 8. You also be patient, and here's your reference point. You ready for this? Establish your hearts, 
For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We often lose sight of this. That the goal of God for our lives is that we would be faithful to the end. That we could endure. That we would be steadfast. So let me ask you this, just kind of as a personal evaluation in your life. Don't answer this out loud, but just in your heart before the Lord. What's your goal? What are you aiming at? How do you know when you might be falling short of those things? You're like, man, well, I've, you know, I've got this business that I've, and you're working so hard on that, or I'm unhappy at work, and man, I'm unhappy in my home. And I get all those things are very important things, very important things. But those can't be ultimate things. Because if they are, the reason we gather together as a church, even that changes. Because if, if all you're trying to do is have a successful business or live a moral life or put together some things for my family, the church becomes like this moral salve that makes you feel better about things. And then once you feel better about things, what do people do? They wander right back off. So the goal of God for you, man, he wants you to enjoy your work. He, he wants there to be joy and peace in your family. I'm not saying those things are not important. When, when you don't have them, you realize how miserable those things can make you. So you need to take the word of God and do better at work. You need to take the word of God and apply it to your family. You need to take the word of God in whatever venue of life you feel like is your biggest hurt, habit, or hang up right now. You need the word of God for that. But listen, you need to be careful to understand what the ultimate goal is. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. That phrase, establish your hearts, means don't give in. And in the end, there's going to be a ton of pressure for people to give in. I, hold your place here at James chapter 5, and I just want to show you some things in the Word of God that you can go back and maybe look at later. But go over to Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. In these two chapters... Jesus spends a lot of time talking about some things you're going to see in the end. And I would encourage you to read these chapters of Scripture because you're seeing a lot of things happening that Jesus describes in these passages. These are not things that just began to happen this week with the attacks on Israel. These are things that have been happening and ramping up with more intensity for many years. But you need to pay attention. Did you notice how this incident has galvanized the world? Did you notice how an incident in Israel, not America... But an incident in Israel becomes global. 
Did you notice how divisive this incident has become? There's very clear lines of demarcation, not only in the Middle East, but also in this country, on college campuses. Did, did you see that a professor at USC told the Jewish students in his class, go stand in the corner so that everyone can publicly shame you. You need to pay attention. You can be cruising along with life, listen to me, and your goal is to be successful in your business. Your goal is to have a little more joy in your family your goal is to live more moral. <laughs> this is amazing how this is happening. So please, please listen to what I'm, what I'm about to tell you. Listen, your goal is for all of those things, and then all of a sudden when Hamas parachutes out of the sky, you realize some of those goals weren't far enough. Right? I know there, there may be many of you here this morning, you're like, dude, this, this church is kind of intense, and I, I like to go to churches that, man, just give me like eight things I can do to be a better communicator, help me to be a better leader, help me to, to do all these things. Please just tune into what I'm saying. I know this is distracting, just please tune in. Listen, I know you want to go to a church that warms up some book and gives you some really practical things in life, but let me ask you this. If you were a hostage in Gaza right now, do you think give, me giving you a list from the Word of God of how you can be a better communicator would help you in this moment? No. You've got to be prepared for the end. Because notice what he says in Matthew 24 and 25, and Listen intently to what Jesus says beginning in verse 9 of chapter 24. Because he tells you, here's the cancers that will grow in you in a time like this. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Listen, you got to have that as a viable option and expectation of your life. That if you live for Jesus, that could happen. If you understand that's part of the risk, you're not surprised when it takes place. But if you think all Jesus did is to help you be prosperous in this life, when people lose their head for living for Christ, it blows your mind. And you stray away. He says, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated for the nations for my name's sake. Listen to this. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's your goal. This is the gospel of the kingdom that will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Flip a few pages back to, or, or forward to Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. I want you to look at this. Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. 
Jesus is talking about persistence of all things in prayer. And he gives a parable of a woman who just wouldn't give up until she got what she wanted. And Jesus is teaching them, hey, if an unjust judge is that right, or a, a judge who's evil like you, is that man, he'll do that. How much more will your heavenly father do this? And I want you to look at how he ends the parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. I tell you, he'll give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, here's the question he's asking. Not, will you be a great leader? Not, will you be a great communicator? Not, will you be a great influencer? Look at the question of evaluation Jesus Christ levels to his people. Will he find faith on the earth? That's the goal. Faith in the end. Go over to Luke chapter 21. This is Matthew 24, 25 in Luke. This is basically the same conversation. Luke brings out some other things that maybe Matthew doesn't share. But through both, they share many parables of the detriment of not being watchful in the end and how it can surprise you. But look at Luke chapter 21, verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. You want me to translate that phrase for you? Watch out that you don't become drunk on things that don't matter. Because, man, our culture is drunk on things that, in the end, don't matter. They don't matter. In, in southern Israel this morning, there are so many things that people are so given to in our culture that people think are so important, they'll spend their entire day today trying to achieve those things. And in southern Israel, those things don't matter today. It's sobering if you watch out what's happening. And listen, I'm not trying to wax political. I'm not trying to, to be conspiracy or, or anything. I'm not trying to. But there are a lot of things that have happened in our country over the last several years that have revealed there's a lot of things in our nation that you need to pay attention to. Look at all the people. Who, all the people who have manifested themselves this week, that they are not only the, is, the enemies of Israel, they are the enemies of America. Pay attention. Pay attention. On Friday, they declared a global day of jihad. Pay attention. Because, man, if you are drunk on the way down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, the next phrase becomes a real danger to you. That day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. It's like finding cancer too late. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Does that include you? Right? But stay awake. 
at all times. And notice the next thing that he says, man, you got to be doing this, y'all. Listen, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's the goal. Go to 1 Peter. Keep your place at James 5. Flip over just a few pages to 1 Peter. And I want you to notice the language in 1 Peter is very similar to what you'll see in James here. And I'm going to start reading 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Here's the phrase, and then notice what he says you need to watch out for next. Look at this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be controlled, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of, there it is, your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We read something like that in James 5. Show hospitality to one another. You're going to read this in just a moment. Without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks of the oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the goal. You got to pay attention. So let me ask you this, dads in the room. Is your fathering of your family reflective that your goal is to establish your hearts so that your family doesn't give in at the coming of Jesus Christ? Mothers, Are you mothering your children in a way that you're reflecting that your ultimate goal for them, man, you want them to enjoy sports. You want them to have a great life. You want them to succeed in school. But are you mothering them in a way that is reflective that the ultimate goal you have for them is that they won't give in in an increasingly dangerous time? Church. Are we practicing Christianity in a way and structuring in our our church in a way that is reflective, that we are serious about loving one another and establishing our hearts so that we are not taken by surprise in the end? That's the goal. Because what's happening, listen, is there's a lot of people who are wondering and they don't even know it. And if we don't have serious gatherings of prayer, we will be lacking what only God can do in times like this. He will strengthen us. He will establish us. He will revive us. He can bring people back. Listen, he can heal us. All of this is in James 5. And it's a powerful picture of of what God does to a people when they're under pressure 
in the end. So the question now is what I want to end with this. How do you know if you're wandering? Here's some of the symptoms. And, and you see it in the passage. The first one is this. Grumbling is a sign of wandering. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You want me to tell you where else you read the judge is standing at the door? Matthew 24. So he's saying, in light of the end, church, be careful that you don't give in to the pressure that, you, that gets put on a congregation and it is destroyed from within. We read all the way through the New Testament the pressure of the church being deceived and also being divided from within. So he says, man, be careful of the grumbling against one another so that you may not be judged. That means the Lord takes it serious. It's toxic. The Lord hates it. If you want to know how much the Lord hates grumbling, read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It is, a, it is a paper on grumbling. That you may not be judged. Man, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, and he goes into the prophets, he goes into Job, and he tells you, man, the purpose of the Lord is that he would be compassionate and merciful. One of the hardest things you'll have to do in the end is be patient. Because faith is a lot of hard work. Go back to verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives you an example. See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains? You also then be patient. Farming is a lot of Hard work for a long time, right? It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of daily discipline of doing certain things that, man, in, in a world, we, we like instant gratification. That's not farming. <laughs> you, you don't just walk out there and it pops up. It's long seasons of daily hard work. Faith is really exciting in the beginning. There's some of you, you haven't been saved very long. You're, you're so exciting to watch because you just think it's all great and we're all perfect and, and this church has got it. You just think this is like the Disneyland of faith, right? <laughs> you haven't seen how the rides work yet, right? You, you haven't gotten behind the scenes yet. And it's so cool. Right now, you're as motivated as you've ever been to read the Bible. You're as motivated as you've ever been to pray because it's all new. And it's so exciting to you. But listen, if you are, are newly saved, let me tell you what you've done. All you've done is bought the farm. And if you don't get to work, there's never going to be any fruit. Just because you bought the farm doesn't mean you're going to get crops. you got to work it. And in the beginning, faith is exciting. 
But where the call to patience comes is in all the hard work faith requires. Listen, in the end, while you're under pressure. And it wears on the church. You're so excited about being a part of the church in the beginning. And man, this is just, dude, I'll do whatever. You sign up. We say we're going to do it. You sign up. You have men. Sign up for women's events. Women, sign up for men's events. You're just excited. You just put your name on everything, right? You just can't get enough of it. But then you get behind the scenes. And you see the lives of people. And sometimes they're disappointing you see they're wondering, or you hear the hypocrisy, and maybe you begin to realize, man, I was giving all this time to doing all these things, and now I'm realizing there are some things in my life that I'm kind of missing, and you know what, I, maybe I don't need to give as much time to the church, and I may, I may need to do all this kind of stuff, and then watch out, because what happens next is you move from being excited to seeing what's wrong with everything and everybody. And grumbling. Grumbling. So, how does prayer help grumbling? How would prayer help grumbling? Remember, we, we talked about relationships in James chapter 4. He talks about one of the reasons that you're quarreling and fighting and all these things. Because you're prayerless and you're selfish, right? You just want what you want. So, imagine this. Imagine that... I have very strong feelings that I want to see a certain thing be handled a certain way in the life of the church. And you have very strong feelings that it ought to go a different way. I think it ought to cost this. You think it ought to cost that. I feel like we ought to do it this way. You feel like we ought to do it that way. And all of a sudden, you have division and grumbling. And here's what happens in most churches when we don't resort to prayer. You just fight it out to see who wins. And the end result of that, people are divided and they're pulled apart because they loved you and them. Here's the question. What would happen if we humbled ourselves and we said, you know what, I see it this way and you see it that way, but let's give it to prayer and let's both pray about it. I'm going to pray about it like this, you're going to pray about it like that, and let's see what God does. Can you imagine how many divided churches might have been brought back together if instead of giving themselves to grumbling, they'd have given themselves to prayer? Just see what God does. I don't have to win. You don't have to win. But man, let's just pray and see what God does. Wouldn't it be exciting for a church not to see who wins, but to see God work? Grumbling is something that's going to make you prone to wonder. So then he gets into verse 13 to another one. Suffering. A lot of people are prone to wonder in suffering. You you have all through the book of, of Psalms. Why, God, is this happening to me? Why, God, have you allowed this in my life? Hebrews, you... You have several passages that tell you, man, under suffering, don't give up. I know you're going to be prone to wonder, but man, if you turn away from Christ, there's no one one else that's going to save you. So is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The grumblers give themselves to prayer. The sufferers give themselves to prayer. 
And then you got to love this. Is anyone cheerful? Dude, they don't have the problems you do, and they're just excited God's working in their life. They're so important. Why? Let him sing praise. You know, one of the cool things that, that Wednesday night, we're having another prayer meeting. On the third Wednesday night and the first Sunday, we have prayer meetings. And, and we're praying about different things. But another thing, that it gives you an opportunity to tell, hey, here's what God's doing in my life. I mean, this is how the Lord answered this prayer that we've... There's some people in that prayer meeting that'll be so discouraged that day. And they're in a long, hard fight on the farm, right? They're trying to bring about fruit and it just won't come as quickly as they want it to. And, and they're losing patience and they're getting into suffering. But man, for them to hear you sing praise and talk about what God's doing in your life, you know, it encourages the one who's suffering. That doesn't happen unless the people of God get together for prayer and for praise, right? Suffering can make you wonder. Here comes another one. Is anyone among you sick? Suffering and sickness is a time when some people would wonder. Look at this. Boy, this is very Pentecostal of us. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. You know what's so remarkable about James chapter 5, verse 15? It's a long way from that doubting faith we saw in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, you weren't sure if God, what God was going to do. You doubt if God loved you. You doubt if God was worth James chapter 5, man, there's prayers of faith that are bringing the sick back to health. Boy, they've come a long way in their prayer life in the book of James. I wonder, church... How many people have become sick in this church? And because we had a lot of doubting faith, we lost opportunities to see God work in healing. If we had been gathered together, believing God in prayer. May we repent of what we've missed. Look at this. The prayer of faith will save the one that's sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, sin is something that will make you prone to wondering. He'll be forgiven. But look at what God would do. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Isn't that exciting? I think one of the reasons that the church is lethargic is because the church is worldly. We're distracted. We're given to sin. We're not serious about holiness. You know what, what a, and I, listen, I don't want to say this in a, in a condemning way, but you've got to hear me. One of the telltale signs of a church that's worldly is a church that's uncomfortable with prayer. Y'all, it's one of the primary things God would have us to do. When you get worldly, you align yourself with worldly solutions to things. You're not given to pray because you don't trust God. Because it doesn't make sense. But man, when you love the Lord and you forsake the world, you see, man, he's the one that raises them up. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And you're like, you know what, Brian? I'm not a great prayer person. I don't. Here, here's your great encouragement. Elijah. Okay, great. Elijah. Moses and Elijah. That's the two greatest prophets in the Bible. Elijah. <laughs> Elijah. You're like, I'm not Elijah. But listen to what he says. Think about the, the miracles Elijah saw happen. Elijah was a man, and then everybody read it out loud, with a nature like what? Like ours. <laughs> The way you doubt, the way you struggle, the way you get depressed, Elijah did too. But here's the key. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That's powerful, isn't it? You know why Elijah was able to pray like that? Listen, it's because God told him what he was about to do. Church, listen, if we would get together to pray and we would not try to program the power of God, our prayer life would become so much more powerful. Here's why. Because God would tell us what he's about to do. Just like he told Elijah. That's the key. God guides that prayer. He, he shapes it to his will. You discern what the Lord wants. You see his direction. And then all of a sudden, you begin to see very clearly what God wants. And there's where the, the prayer of faith collides with the power of God. And God's people begin to see God working. He prayed again. The heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. I know you've got all these other goals in your life, your business, your family, all these kind of things. But let me ask you this question. How would a prayer life like that help your business? How would a prayer life like that help your doubt? How would a prayer life like that, when you know you have people that can go to God and find out what God wants for you, how would that help you through a time of sickness? How would prayer like that help, listen to me, parents, how would that help your teenagers for them to not see that a church is trying to program the power of God, but for them to see that God is working in response to people's prayer? Man, the greatest thing we could do, y'all, for our students is to show them God works and answers prayer. That's it. We don't need more lights. We need more power. From God. How would it help you as a father or as a mother for God to show you how to pray for your children? For God to show you the direction he's taking them in their life? For you to discern the will of God in those moments? How would it help you as a leader for God to show you, here's what you need to be praying for your, for your life group. It's been really interesting over these last couple of months in this journey of prayer in my own life. I, one of the things I've been praying, God, show me how to pray for our men. And it has been remarkable over the last six weeks of how many conversations I've had and how many things that, that God's going, you need to pray about that. You see that? You hadn't been praying about that. You need to pray about that. You see that? You need to pray about that. So I'm, I'm here. I'm here today to put every man in this church on notice. 
God is about to rock your world because he's showing me how to pray for you. And it means he wants to move in your life and he wants to grab a hold of your heart. It means that God is mindful of you. If, if he's moving my heart to pray for you, man, God wants something in your life that we're, I don't know quite what it is yet, but man, he's got something for us. If he's answering the prayer, show me how to pray for our men. Get ready because the heaven's going to give rain and the earth is going to bear fruit. And this is what I believe. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You got to catch it early. Because if you don't, it'll kill you. We got to get together to pray. It will save the lives of the wanderers. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? So I know I've talked a long time, but I think this is really important. And I think we need to be very mindful of the season we are living in. Is this going to go on another 10 minutes? Is it going to go on another 10 years? Is it going to go on another 50 years? I would be unbiblical to tell you when I thought it would all end. But Jesus said, when you see these things taking place, you need to pay attention. When, when you see the leaf on the tree, pay attention. So at the very least, I'm telling you, watch how quickly things can change. And I believe it's only going to escalate from here. Get ready. So there's going to be a lot of pressure. We, we need to learn how to pray because you're going to lose patience. Prone to wonder, grumble, suffer, sickness, sinning. Lord, I feel it. Bring us back, right? So Linda's going to play and sing about a verse and a chorus. If you want to come, I'm going to pray some things over you before we leave here today. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to be born again, there's going to be some people just standing here. They won't be kneeling. They're just standing. You just walk to one of them. They'll be on the edges. They'll take the word of God and they'll show you how to be saved. But if you want to join in this prayer after I pray, we're going to stand together and you come on down. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you realizing we need to be paying attention. We need to be setting our goals a little bit higher, the goals that you have for us, and that is to be faithful until the end. So, Lord, thank you for this word. And God, I pray you bring us back from our wondering. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together?